Hi! So before we get into the show, I just want to jump in and let you know, you can find the full video version of this podcast on Rumble, under Outside Four Walls. Evan Space is somebody I've met briefly before. He's a former combat veteran running for the governorship of Michigan. That being said, hope you enjoy the show. Audio's up, and... Get this out of the way down here. And we should be just about... I just got done with that. Awesome. I just got done with Emily Lawler. Turned out good. She's got the exclusive of uh, Mackinac. Nice. So I was gonna. Be, I was like, there's no point in trying to contact anybody else. It's more fun to play the mouse hunt game and see if somebody can find her. Like, how did you get that? So I'm kind of teasing Michigan a little bit. <laughs> the GOP is more of what I'm teasing. Well, in many so ways, this is my, my, my initial backup setup. I like to put it up like this. Uh, this is my temporary one, and eventually I'll have it set up more professional than that, uh, in a more more uh, seclusive setting. But right now I'm in the breezeway between all the dogs and stuff. So if you hear any puppies, it's because I got his like left in the foot and a half away from him. Exactly. I do like this. I do like the thirteen colonies flag. That's a really nice one. Thank you. Thank you. I I I I pride, like I said, pride in America. Uh, I don't, oh, there it is. Yes, pride in America. Yes, sir. Yes, I get it. No. I got my little collection. I like to show it on my uh, my balding head. <laughs> they actually got they got good science now to make sure that doesn't happen to you anymore. And maybe one day I'll get a a, a keeps sponsorship. <laughs> nice, very nice. And I almost get to be so lucky to age and get a keep a nice quaff on her head. Oh yeah, definitely. Gosh, we gotta, we gotta get that going. I, I don't like too much. Honestly, I like when it's shorter than this. But uh, for like the last two and a half, three years, I actually got my hair to grow about down to here now. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> yep, and I even was like, my hair grew out all the way here during the COVID. And during COVID, I let my facial hair grow out. I had a goatee beard that was like down to about here, which is like insane. I was like, are you serious? I look like a caveman. You know, not, <laughs> not many politicians have beards. You could uh, you could bring that back. I could. I didn't think about it. I don't know, do an Abe Lincoln. You just have the, the chin strap. Yeah, I like the uh, Alice in Wonderland mug. That'd be a bit, oh, oh, this one. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Got to. He's so awesome. That movie has sold in death. Such a children's movie. I can't believe it was ever a children's story with what it involves. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Drink the tea. Eat me. Uh, the Mad Hatter and the Mercury. The, the Chester Cheetah. The Smoking, the smoking Caterpillar. Is it the kid? Short 
<laughs> hey, same thing with Pinocchio, you know, it Pinocchio seems like a kid's movie, and then you do like the island of kids and start turning into donkeys and stuff. Nowadays, yeah. kids have to go to college to turn into jackasses. <laughs> Hi, Pod. Uh, the Forbidden Gusher. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, uh, how have you Somebody been today? Just stupid. What's that? Uh, so how have you been today, brother? Uh, I'm busy, but good. Uh, not too busy. It took me a little bit to get up because I was sleeping in at about 12. Uh, didn't go to sleep till about 6 because I was insomnia. Just couldn't, just couldn't fall asleep. I uh, put together a a really cool poster off of Canva for the puppies, and I because uh, I'm trying to sell them, and I keep on trying to pull up pictures all the time. So I just parents, and I got it all in there, and I set it all up, and then let's see, I don't know if it's in there on my computer or not. Maybe I can find it. Uh, here it is. It's right there. There it is. I'm proud of this. It took a minute for me to make this. Hang on a second. I got to get one thing. No rush. This. I need to get my mouse pad because I'm. See what my puppy did to my beautiful mouse pad? <laughs> oh. Yeah, they, they ruined my, my National Guard one. That came from when I was just joining the Guard, so I wasn't really happy. <sighs> they're lucky they're cute, right? Puppies? Yeah. I'll show you the puppies here. These are my kids. Aww. Oh, how many is that? There's 10 of them. Mm -hmm. And they're all for sale, except for one. Go tell the girl. That one's my baby. Uh, she's uh, the she's the most pretty. She's the prettiest one of the bunch. She's uh, here. I'll show you which one is mine. This is my pick. Here, this one. Oh, see her coloring. Yeah. She's got white paws, white collar, white nose, and she's got a white tip tail. But she's the only one of that coloring. She's uh, very. Those are actually the rare dogs that you get out of the, 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 the pack, and I got her. So I have her in the group for sale, but not really. And this is what I did last night that I got bored on. I got to zoom out a little bit with this. Nope. 50%. 25%. 5%. Too much. Oh, gotta refresh it too. Oh, there you go. And this is the outcome of the what I made last night. Is it too clear? I can see it. You got all the all the dogs all lined up. Is that the uh, the mom and the dad in the bottom there? Yep. And uh, they call it the presidential pack. It says boys 700, girls 750. And they all have uh, presidential names. The only one that I want to see if anybody says, well, Franklin's not a president. I'm waiting for that one. I'm like, he should have been. 
True. And then, uh, and then the other one I want is for somebody to say, well, how's Mars a, a presidential name? It's actually short. If you know your presidential history, it's Martha. You know who is that is? Wouldn't that be Washington's wife? Yeah, you got it. You got it. My Hillsdale shows off occasionally. <laughs> is it, I, I'm surprised. Hillsdale is a very conservative college, is it? Yes, sir. I wish I would have known that. You want to know why? Because I went to Grand Valley to get my poli-sci degree. Ah. Oh, jeez. No refunds. <laughs> but I wrestled for them. I mean, Hillsdale couldn't do that. So that's the thing. I had I, I wanted to wrestle. And I got to wrestle for four years for them. And I walked away unscathed and unpinned. I don't have it around me anywhere. I have a... I have a wrestling... Was well, the participation medal, but you know it's still something. All right. I was a big kid. I kind of just sat on people and won. <laughs> nice, very nice. But yeah, Mars is Mars. Martha. I want to call her Martha, but it's just too old school. I couldn't do it. So. I'm surprised yeah, not. Uh, I'm surprised there's not like a a ladybird in there somewhere. Ladybird. I know King of the Hill, but where's Ladybird? Awesome. Explain. I believe that was Ike's it's, wife. It's what? Eisenhower's wife, I believe. Her name was Ladybird? Or maybe that was, uh, that might have been Lindy B. Johnson, actually. Hmm. I, I get the, the association Ladybird. My runt's name is Quincy. Quincy Adams? <laughs> yup. Yep, that was LBJ's wife with Lady Bird. That was her last name? That was her nickname. Oh, her nickname. Huh. I guess she was a big fan of birds? Maybe. Lyndon B. Johnson is a very... He's not my favorite presidential list, but he's definitely a, a very eccentric individual. Wasn't he the one that was handicapped from polio? No, that was uh, FDR. Oh, was that? Okay. Yep, Delano Roosevelt. Okay, that was the one in the wheelchair. Hmm? Actually, okay. something I've been thinking about with him. You know, if you read newspapers from back then, right, and articles written about him at the time, the whole country knew that there was at least something wrong with him. And a lot of people speculated that he had polio. And then when you go to like a history class today, they kind of teach us as if America had no idea that he was in a wheelchair. I kind of wonder, because right now, you know, there's that big argument like, is Joe Biden's brain melting? Does he got dementia? Is it onset? Or does he have nothing? And, you know. I, dementia is definitely dementia. Oh, that's, that's, for sure. But like a hundred years from now, right? People are gonna be teaching it as if Americans had no idea, no one guessed it. But then it's kind of the same thing, right? Because they teach uh, about FDR like we had no idea that he had polio. But when you read the articles from back then, people all over the country were speculating about it, just like they're speculating about Joe Biden now. And history tends to be a a rhyme. Yeah, just imagine how people are today 
would anybody ever vote for somebody that's in a wheelchair today? Uh, that, uh, there's that freshman congressman. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, Cartwright? Yeah, there's a uh, 18-year-old who got elected, and he's in a wheelchair. Really? Yeah. Let me see if I can get his name right here. Cawthorn. Madison Cawthorn. That's who it is. He, uh... Madison Cawthorn? Yes, sir. He bought, uh... When they had all those National Guardsmen in D.C. around the Capitol, and they put them all in that little parking Mm -hmm. garage... In the middle, it was like January, and you've been—if yeah. you've been to DC in January, you know how cold it gets. It's cold as hell. Yeah. 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 He bought everybody in their pizza. Showed up with like hot coffee and pizza for everybody. That's nice. I was wrong what we were doing. Our okay. nation still got it wrong. We're still doing it wrong. I heard about the the one. Let's say, wait, wait. DC, Washington DC, is now removing the famous stained glass Confederacy windows. They have done that, and now they are actually uh, taking a famous African-American artist to re-indition a more equality-type and non, uh, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for, less offensive-type stained glass window to put in. Why? I, I just ask, why? I mean, it's going to offend everybody that actually grew up in the history of why, you know? Um, I, I understand that the new people that are being born would accept such a thing, but the old generation, there's so many of them, but why? Why can't we stop with our history erasing? And, and when, when is somebody going to finally stop it? It's like the monuments then, that we have the movie. Shouldn't we be doing that with our country by now? Mm-hmm. No, Shouldn't we? I mean, should, I mean, shouldn't I rattle the cages now in this election to say, I'm going to create a Monuments Men National Guard team for the state of Michigan, and nobody's going to be erasing any more of our history? I mean, if there's nothing for you to be able to look at and be offended by in history, then you're not learning history. Yeah, that's something I've always found interesting. Like, people, uh, I have a lot of family from the South, right? And uh, mm-hmm. something you hear a lot with people who have Confederate flags is it's all about the heritage, not the hate. You can find Confederate flags with that emboldened on them. There is not a single country on this planet that does not have a little bit of blood on it. So I find it right. interesting that people focus on civil war and and they attack people on both sides. Like there's Abraham Lincoln statues that have been torn down. And they also tear down all right. the Confederate troops and all their statues and stuff too. What do you think the main end goal is with a lot of these politicians that, that support the destruction of these historical monuments? To rewrite the history they want to rewrite. To have a clean state and say that this is the, this is not the America we grew up in. History doesn't I'm getting up, I'm gonna point at it. This is what I think. I think that what the politicians want is they don't want to see any of this America anymore. They want to see the fifty stars flag, that's the only thing they want to see, and possibly change it. It's got me highly worried. 
What are some? That's why I'm in the game. What are some actions that you would take if you were to get to the position of governor to like protect not just American history but Michigan history as well? Well, like you said, the one thing would be the monument would be a monument uh, appointed National Guard team to make sure that no statue will ever come down again. Uh, I will also point the fact of regarding history of people else who want to be remembered and be able to create new history for them as long as our old history remains. I want to give up. I want to give opportunity for people. If you, it, it is time for us to actually open our eyes a little bit more. I think we've been blind for many years. We're, we're evolving as, as, as humans learn to to be less aggressive towards one another and everything like that but at the same time um there's always going to be that offensive nature to people so we've got to be able to say look we'll 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 work with you and make your your life better for you and accept and show you who you are we'll, we'll actually show we'll, we'll be proud of your history but let's not overrun our history with what we already have. Let's we'll add to it, but let's not let's not just say your history is better than this. Okay? We'll we'll add to the timeline. We're not going to we're not gonna take that timeline and take a a eraser and try and erase it and say this happened and this never did happen. So that's what it would do to preserve Michigan very well. And Oh, well, someone's not happy. Somebody's walking by the house right now. Oh, okay. So you got two I big dogs. Buddy. Pardon? You got two big dogs? Uh, yeah, I got a couple of big dogs, you could say. Uh, I have a small zoo I take care of. Got, you know. We have like um, 14 dogs. Wow. Yep. So the the puppies plus the other dogs? Puppies are going out. I'm not keeping the puppies. So. <laughs> the puppies were something that just came about and uh, doing good though. Uh, but yes, they are. They're amazing. Uh, I take care of also of reptiles in the house here as well. And uh, then the... Uh, my other half, she's got a, a, a room full of her, her little, uh, critters that she likes to watch over. So it's a quite a menagerie that we have going on. And uh, I'm going to probably be making a small Netflix series type episode of all the animals that I have and going through them and talking about them all on each episode. So I can make like about 30, about 20 or 30 episodes in about 30 to 40 segments uh, uh, split up. So it'll be really interesting to see. And, uh, yeah, I love animals. I'm a big animal lover, honestly. Uh, I, it keeps me busy, it keeps me young, it keeps me on my feet. And there's always something new to learn. Absolutely. And it, if you're willing to care for smaller animals, it definitely shows a sign of care that you'll put into a bigger project like running the state. Oh, goodness. I would, I would love to show off my collection of my animals to, some, to the state someday. But I would also love to be able to show the state that I got bigger plans and be able to take care of everybody else as well. This is actually my pre-warm-up 
to taking care of every Michigander. That's what it is. It's my pre-warm up. I'm prepared. I'm ready. At any given moment, I can have about 100 people asking me questions, and I'll be right there answering your question, taking care of you. If you've got a boo-boo and you're that kid on the street that you fell over, scraped your knee, I remember I was a kid doing that. I'll be over the one that actually pull off the side of the road, actually get out of my limo, and actually go over and help the kid out and actually do medical first aid. It's what I was trained to do in the military. You know, I want to help out everybody, you know. I don't look at past anybody in Michigan. I have a real concern even about the homeless population we have in the state of Michigan, and I want to attribute to making a better solution for them. Uh, we have another state, I think it's Texas or so, that right now is uh, implementing programs for them to have, uh, they would have people come in and uh, homeless people, and they give them shelter and everything like that, but they give them jobs. And they clean up the cities for them, and then they give them money in return, and then they give them a home, and they give them uh, hope to be able to have a better better life than what they're at. Why not have that in Michigan? We need more we need more shelters around here, and we also need to get a better control of the uh, repeating behaviors and help those behaviors better for them, because a lot of them like to just see going to the hospital a lot over in Grand Rapids when I'm talking, because it's a real hot spot for a lot of the homeless population, and uh, we need to be able to know that. Even if they aren't a part of our lives, even if they aren't a normal day thing that we deal with, even if they aren't who we think we should be in life, they are people too. And everybody needs to look at that. So we start with our kids, we start with our homeless, and we work our way up. We make sure that the, 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 the middle class population, which is, by the way, closing a very small gap. It went from this, now it's about this. And we need to make that middle class gap separated. We need to bring it back. We need to have a middle class and we need to have the lower class because we're upping the amount of our, our money for the, the, the minimum wage to Michigan and it's going up to about $15 an hour. And if everybody gets that, everybody thinks that that's the same pay as what the middle class used to receive, we have to find a way to be able to do that because the inflation rate is always going to be stackable and oversizing the amount of money that we're making. So people got to have means to be able to wait for them to live. And we got to be able to reestablish the middle class. The upper class, I don't think has much problem because they'll stay in the upper class because they have the potential uh, uh, advantage on a lot of things that they can be able to do and accomplish with the wealth that they have. So Michigan needs to have some governor like myself who can look at a problem like 100 people or 100 kids that I got, something like that, and at any given moment say, yes, I can do this to make your life better for you, and I can do this to be able to work it. I'm watching huge problems with the unemployment agency and how they're taking lots and lots of the, the people and putting them out of work right now without any solution for them to be able to say, do you have that position yet? Or be able to actually do what they're doing a lot to everybody. And that's actually saying, well, you did unemployment. Now you owe us 13 or 14,000 or you owe us $30,000. And that's going on across the entire state of Michigan right now. That's, that's awful. We shouldn't be telling people to pay back money that they don't owe. And we shouldn't be uh, crippling our population 
we should have found a, a stepping stone in our population before we took the mat and we slipped it underneath their feet. And now we have a, an occurring problem with the hiring process because not everybody's just going to be hired within just two weeks and be able to be on a job and be able to make the money that they need to when the rugs has been slipped underneath their feet. So what do you think about how the federal government's been sending out stimulus checks? Do you think that hurts or improves the like life of people during this pandemic? That's a good question. It's dependent on the recipient of who receives the money and how they spend it. It is very, I need to make this clear. So, because I understand as a Republican that if we keep on giving out free money, it becomes a crutch, it becomes a problem. It becomes a, it's something that everybody relies on to be able to keep their, to keep themselves going themselves. Uh, so the, the stimulus checks as they go out, if they are put into the economy by putting it in towards uh, paying for their bills or putting it towards paying for the, the purchasing items and keeping businesses open to keep on getting fluctuated to keep closing we right now have like two or three businesses right now in lansing here that are established businesses that are going under because the economy uh, they have been open for 30 to 50 years a pizza joint another pizza place over here in lansing and they're just they're just picking up and leaving so stimulus checks seem like a good idea but at the same time you got a limit on how much you put into the economy you know um, I say for those who need it and those who could restorably use it to make the economy better yes but let's not keep sending them uh, money that's gonna put people in a situation where they can't recover and get on their feet and going. It seems to have that, uh, you give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach a man to fish, he'll feed himself forever kind of thing goes along with it. it. It does go along with it. I will agree with that statement. And so it's a more, it's a more uh, prolific way of looking at it than just to look at it as, you know, we're just giving you a handout, you know? And I understand where, where the, where is a, a Republican, uh, we need to have a firm stance on how much we are giving out and what we can give out. But at the same time, I also can look at the other balance of the scale as it's tipping the other way and see how people are hurting and know that we need to address that. Uh, but we need to, that addressing is we need to teach them how to fish. Agreed. Agreed. I, uh, I, I know a lot of people that are it's not that they can't find a job because let's face it, everyone's hiring right now. We have more jobs open in America than we have people filling them currently. But the government has made people dependent on them right now with the stimulus check, the unemployment bonuses. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the renter moratorium ended recently, but that was part of it for a while. You know, these people just want the government to keep giving them and giving them and giving them and giving them. Not realizing that they're just, you know, impacting future generations. They're no longer borrowing from themselves. They're borrowing from their kids. And if this keeps going, they'll be borrowing from their grandkids as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of Reagan's um, greatest quotes is, uh, 
The scariest sentence you can ever hear is, Hi, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. That would be the blue-nosed miniature pit bull. <laughs> nope, red nose. Dakota, put it, buddy. It's a good name, Dakota. <laughs> uh, she named him Dakota because it meant little one. This one's not so little. I saw a... Jackson? Yeah. Hi. Oh, you, oh, you're a jowly boy, aren't you? Oh, yeah. He's a, a, about six foot five, standing on two legs. He's huge. He's a big boy. <laughs> How old is he? Uh, he's just turned two. So That's a big two-year-old. Oh, yeah. He's big. How's the uh, how, how's the terrible twos treating you? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I don't know if he's even the biggest problem in the house. Some of the other ones are a little bit more rambunctious than that. He's just the doorbell, huh? He is the doorbell. If he barks, you can hear the whole house shake. <laughs> and I saw you have some. Uh... I want to make this. A, I want to make this a fun podcast for you. I'm really an open kind of guy, a nice down-to-earth guy running for governor that really, really does care about Michigan and the people, you know? That's a nice change of pace, you know? Because uh, I, I don't know how you felt about Rick Schneider, but uh, I, I felt like he could have done way more, and in many ways he could have done a lot less than he did. So when I saw Gretchen running for it, you know, I'm... I'm not necessarily a Republican or a Democrat. I'm one of those milk toast fencers. I see both sides have some good points. Both sides have some bad points. But I, uh, Gretchen ran on the policy of we're going to fix Flint. We're going to fix the infrastructure. We're going to fix these roads. She didn't fix Flint. Um, not at all. Uh, and... Well, actually, I just find it funny, though. It's like, we're going to fix the roads, and then Gretchen's like, she gets one of these cars in the mail or gets a hold of one of these cars. These cars were made, like, I don't know, about two and a half months ago. Get away. Over two and a half months ago, and I was talking about it even before then. Uh, and you can see right here, energize the state and highways with renewable energy. And I think it's, the funny thing is, is she took my idea. But she didn't know that my idea has a lot more in depth to it that I haven't told everybody about yet. So take my idea, but you don't know the whole plan. And I'm going to make a spoiler alert and show her that she took the wrong thing and didn't give credit to it. And she deserves to give credit to, you know? It's like, a, it's like when a kid copies off your homework in school. And just raise the answer now, but not like the entire solution he, you had to use to get the, like, the answer to the math problem. He just wrote the math problem answer down. The teacher's like, uh, so explain your work. Meanwhile, you're over here with all the paperwork with all your, your solutions and problems written out on it. And she's just like, 42! That's exactly what happened. Yep, it really did. Uh, I'll tell you what. Yeah, she, she did it. <laughs> Would you like to know the, the, the in-depthness about the highways that she doesn't know yet? Would you like to know the secret? 
Absolutely. I uh, sure. Well, we'll get more proof out there. More proof out there, the better. So, the highway systems. Let's see here if we can do this. I'll, I'll do a draw pad for this here because it, I think a visual show is a need. <clears throat> Why did I come up with this idea in the first place about the highways? You want to know that, right? That would be a better. That'd be a more in-depth question than a lot of people would ever get to know about. Uh, as a guru of science, uh, when I was going to school, I loved science. That energy, electricity, electromagnetism, fusion energy, nuclear energy, and anything perpetually in physics just drives my fancy and how I like to think of things creatively. I'm actually an inventor myself. I have a whole bunch of inventions. I just haven't patented them yet. And when I do get the money someday here soon, which uh, I should be coming into with my my uh, VA, and then that will change everything on my funding. Um, I'll be able to put out my patents and I'll be able to make some more money out there, which is kind of cool. Uh, so what, what I wanted to do was I wanted to invent something for Michigan that was a energy sustainable resource that we have never seen the likes of before. Energy sustained resource, okay? And when I was in uh, my first couple of classes at Grand Valley State University, I was challenged with an idea of come up with a, an idea for renewable energy for uh, for two people in a group and you had to have a partner. Like everybody, everybody tried to take solar energy, wind and energy, uh, they tried taking all the normal eyes, ideas out there and I decided to take it another way. I decided to go for another uh, proposed idea of how to create energy and that was through uh, weight through currents in the oceans. The motion of the ocean cranks out the energy. Uh, it was actually taking uh, uh, coils that we use to, like coil flashlights as an idea for a lot of people to understand. When a coil gets a magnet passed by it at a high speed of rate, uh, while, it's, while, the, while the coil is taking in a charge, it, it creates uh, an electromagnetic charge for the for the energy to be transported into a capacitor. So the energy goes in the capacitor and the coil is just getting spun by the currents of the ocean. And with that, the, the you have a new source of energy that we can create. And it was actually during the, the up stages of it, it's out there, but it's still being worked out. It's not been a, a full, program put in place for it yet but I, I created the idea got it through I even put together a tank and I put a demonstration together with it by putting a pinwheel underneath the water and then I would take and I took a piece of plastic and I covered the pinwheels it's just a demonstration just to show that that when the plastic is that that coil around it and that the pinwheel underneath it has got all these magnets and I took a, a hose to demonstrate this for people Put the hose in there and I, and I spun the pinwheel. I said, now imagine if this pinwheel had magnets on it. It spins past all those coils, creating all the energy of these electrons, and they are sent into the capacitor, which creates energy that's stored on land. 
needless to say, it was a 200 out of 200 points project in the end, and she absolutely loved the idea. Uh, I want to look at seeing outside resources and thinking outside of the box of where we are right now. And that's why I decided to think of another energy resource that we could use in Michigan, just like I did with the coils for creating undercurrent energies that we can use for everywhere because the majority of the world is covered in water. Um, even if our Earth was covered in water, we could still create energy by using that. So why not create a new idea for Michigan and maybe use that idea in the Great Lakes or use the... Um, use the the uh, wind turbines, for example, or solar panels and like solar fields that generate the energy that's actually running right into the highway. Now, the cool thing about the highway is that once the energy gets going and running through it, on so here's the drawings now. Okay, so we have a highway, and then we have a all right. So you have a highway, and down the center line you have the the highway, this is what she wants. Well, what she says is she wants to put particles, she wants to put particles into the road that are electrically charged, that will charge the, the, the vehicle underneath with like a pad. So the pad goes up to a vehicle here, and the vehicle right here, so you have the vehicle and the pad and then the road. So if the road's getting charged, it goes to the pad, which charges the vehicle. Now, what I didn't explain was is that there's more to that than a lot of people know. So you have the, the pad on the road that actually just rides above it, so it never touches the road, so there's no contact. And if anything hits it, the bump pad just comes up and it doesn't do anything and it gets out of the way of any obstructive path underneath it, like a roadkill by accident or something, you know? Um, but... If Michigan can actually take, a, my idea was to take the copper coiling and take the copper that we, we mine out of the Upper Peninsula and put it into our roads with copper coiling underneath the roads to charge it with the, this electromagnetic energy that we can so people don't have to stop their vehicles anymore, the time efficiency for everybody will go up. Now, is it gonna take away from the charging station ideas? Sure, but you know what? The charging idea, station ideas will get on with this and they'll actually start funding our roads rather than to make them long stop areas. Um, I'm sure that there'll still be charging stations out there because they're talking about putting restaurants next to charging stations. I think that's Tesla's going to be doing that. And now what I'm gonna do with the, the idea is going a step further. I wanted to actually put a transportation and railway system for Michigan in, actually that crisscrosses Michigan that are high speed rails that get you from southeast Michigan all the way to the, the far corners of Michigan in less than two or three hours flat. Because if drive time is gone for you in Michigan because it's such a, a unnavigable state and how much distance you have to cover because we are a fairly large state, uh, your idea of being able to, to take and do things during a day will increase with productivity. Your ability to be able to say that you want to go to the Upper Peninsula will be increased. So you want to take the highway, you can take the railway, get on the railway, go underneath the Straits of, 
of Mackinac, like we were going to do with Pipeline 5, but do it with also a transit tunnel. So we don't do two tunnels, one tunnel, but we do two tunnels combined as one, one for the, the, the oil and all the other uh, renewable energy resources that transport under it. And the other tunnel goes for the, the train systems and transport other items as well that are dangerous to bring across the bridge and give another route of uh, avenue for us to be able to move things in Michigan a lot faster. Uh, then you have people coming and going out of the Upper Peninsula more frequently while the economy is being increased by the lieutenant governor running it and the lieutenant governor makes it better and they put a green thumbprint on it because I know the Upper Peninsula, they want to keep that green and they don't want to have it become a rural environment like what we did with Detroit. If you look at the, the fact that Detroit is Detroit and Michigan and it's not just the state, we can take those, we take those roads and just imagine putting uh, electric roads throughout the entire city of Detroit. People would be able to drive without ever having to worry about charging their vehicle again. I mean, how great would that be? You get up in the morning, get your coffee, open up your garage drawer, you gotta go to work, you don't have to worry about plugging anything in, you're losing, you're using less electricity, you're cho the road outside is charged, ready to go, you get your vehicle on it, if you're at a low charge, you're going to work and you're charging your vehicle. Uh, but at the same time, you're gonna be dealing with high-speed rails that are going through Michigan, and that's at the same time, and that's all gonna be um, paid for by uh, putting more tollways in on our borders. Michigan, we've tollway it more, uh, but we take the areas that are being tollway and we make uh, a leniency in the people that live in that area so they don't have to pay a heavy amount of fees to go back and forth across Michigan borders. Because if you're coming to Michigan and we're trying to make Michigan better, I think that you're gonna at least be able to put a little bit of money into our state so we can be able to make our state great, you know? And how cool would it be that you can say that I didn't just go to Michigan, I went to Michigan and the Upper Peninsula, and I got to meet the Lieutenant Governor and the Governor down here. How awesome would that be? I mean, it's just a state that you wanna see and you know that, that you're gonna drive through Flint and get a bottle of water and know that it's not gonna be tainted with anything bad in it anymore. Take that pipeline, put pipeline from Flint right into Port Huron, it's simple. I know that we, we didn't put that, that amount of money into the extra amount of chemical that was supposed to go into there, and that created a real problem for things, and it created a, a, a leaching of the, the lead into the, the system, and if we had actually put that extra amount of money into just adding that additive, it wouldn't have leached out of the pipes itself. But now we have a still issue with it, and we have abandoned neighborhoods in Flint, and Flint needs to be recovered. Easy. Tiny houses to recover Flint. Take the houses that can no longer be fixed, clear them off the property with the permissions that are suitable through the state and make sure everything's done on a legitimate level so we're not taking people's properties, but we're, we're rebuilding properties. And if instead of having to go through high building costs, put tiny homes in places of the homes that lost. Or for Detroit, and we have lost neighborhoods that can't be come back, we take and we clear out the bad neighborhoods and we put auxiliary battery fields in for them. The auxiliary battery fields will be energy juice to, to get the energy that we need for our state and also send energy out to other states and be able to make more income and more energy for our economy. Um, it's all a balancing act. And how can we make this happen? 
this is what Gretchen doesn't know yet. The work crew that I would do to be able to make it happen would be drawn from the Department of Corrections. I would draw the biggest, largest work crew from the Department of Corrections to fix our roads and fix our state, fix our potholes, and put in those energy roads by having them work with the state and then to have a superseding power that would also work alongside the Department of Corrections. I would put active duty National Guardsmen so there will be no escapes, there will be no no issues with uh, with the, 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 the inmates that are working out there and getting re a revocation program available for them that we can actually make an opportunity where they're making an improvement for our state, they're getting job opportunities that they need, and then when they come out, they are going to have a job being able to work on the roads or something like that. We'll give them the things that we're not giving them yet. And we'll also have, we have a check and balance, and the check and balance would be National Guardsmen that would make sure that every... And last but not least, the one thing I have is thought on an idea because I know where our future is going and I know how we are changing, but we haven't put it in for Michigan yet and we'll be the first ones to do it too. But I suggest that we start uh, uh, creating uh, flight zones for a drone highway for drones to fly across Michigan uh, down highways alongside them, drone highways that are available for them. That, that are approved by the federal, the FAA, you know? Yeah. Um, for delivery and transportation. Imagine seeing a drone fly down past you and it's got a giant box on it. It's reducing the amount of energy that we need for, for gasoline and putting that footprint in. Electricity's being charged on it and that thing's going down that highway. Why not also add a little bit of fun to Michigan? Let's even look at the fact of this one. I know this is the fire proposed idea from the roads, but this is the fun one. Michigan has a lot of people who love engines and it's the Motor City, right? Yes, sir. Why not potentially look at putting a small strip in Michigan that's the uh, Autobahn, the Michigan Autobahn? But you'll have to pay to get on it. Why not? It would drive the population up in Michigan. It would help boost the, the enthusiast of the Motor City. It would make so many people want to come here and see it, but just to visit and do it. I mean, the Autobahn is a safe highway that's been proven in Germany. It's just very dangerous if you're not an experienced driver, so you need to be an experienced driver if you're on it, obviously. You know? Well, if, if somebody wants to get on in Michigan, I say, you know, um, and they're from out of state or something like that, you give them like, there's like a crash course before you enter the Autobahn for us, you know? Like a 15 minute crash course about that. You know, Safety's, safety checks and like you would do as a military officer, you know? You have to make a tentative plan, you uh, follow through with the plan, you make the order, you follow up with the, the risks are and what everything is, and you, and the more that you plan it out right, the better and safer the things are going for your operations. But, I mean, this is my idea for the Department of Transportation for the state of Michigan that nobody has known yet. Exclusive here then. 
Yes, it is. I do like the idea, especially because, you know, I've lived in Detroit and I lived in Ipsy. And these places have car fairs a lot, where people just bring out these beautiful cars from the 40s, 50s, 60s, and onward. And that would give people a chance to really put the pedal to the metal and see what their cars are capable of. So I imagine you'd instantly get a, a deep well of revenue for the state, with people paying to go under these roads. Huge revenue. <laughs> Huge. Huge revenue. I mean, if it's the Autobahn, it's like you're going to pull up and you're going to be like, it's $5 to enter or where else in the United States are you going to be able to rip it? Montana? Sorry, we're not by Montana right now, but you're in Michigan. Have fun. <laughs> True. And while we're on the topic of cars, it's no secret. I'm sure this has crossed your path before with other interviews. The pothole situation in this state. What's your approach to that? Because a lot of beautiful cars in this state, a lot of damaged ones because of how bad these potholes get, and every everybody runs on the idea of we're going to fix these potholes, yet these potholes never really get fixed. We did see a company like Domino's, I don't know if you know about this or not, Domino's was filling in potholes all over Michigan. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I remember correctly, Gretchen Whitmer sent them a, a cease letter on that. Really? Yep. To my understanding, isn't that, isn't that, that's actually that. kind of funny that they do that. But so she sends Domino. Let me get this. This is great in the podcast. I love this bit of information. This is juicy for you. So she sends a cease letter to Domino's Corporation that has actually the money to be able to fix these potholes. But yet she promotes a kid in Muskegon who's filling in potholes because nobody's doing it. But he doesn't have the funds to fill in many more hot holes. But it, she's still promoting him because he's doing the right thing and doing it. And then she says that Domino's wants to do the right thing and follow the lead of that youngster and say that he was an inspiration to them. And she's saying no. I could be mistaken. That is bad economics. If to my understanding, I might be mistaken, but to my understanding, she told Domino's to cease this operation in Michigan. Because what they were doing is they were putting, like, uh, I think it was 40% of their proceeds from every delivery into refilling in these bottles. They'd fill in these big bottles, and they would just spray paint the Domino's logo over the pothole. They did it on roads and in neighborhoods. Like, surface streets and neighborhoods, I should say. <laughs> they did it for about six months. Actually, there's a couple in Ipsy that have that. Had like the Domino's pothole filling. Well, like I like like I was telling you that last bit of information about the Department of Transportation and the plan of action I want to take for the state of Michigan. Uh, a portion was actually covered on that answer, and that was actually the Department of Corrections. I will actually implement the largest pothole fixing team in the state of Michigan through the Department of Corrections for inmates to be running out every morning at the break of dawn and see how many potholes that they will be fixing every day. Give them something to look forward to. I mean, if they can say, if they can go back to their buddies back at the, the, the place and say, I did 20 today, how many did you do, buddy? He's like, I got 25, I got you five by more. It's like, oh, just imagine the amount of 
of drive they are because they don't have anything. If you can give them something to make them feel better about themselves, they're going to put quality work into these things and they're going to do it right and they're going to do it quick because they don't have much going. If you give them that, you could actually see a real change real quick for Michigan. Agreed. And I do like the idea because a lot of times when people go to Michigan prisons or prisons in general, they just stay inside. They had their yard time. A lot of prisons back in the day, you'd be making license plates. You'd be doing something that goes out and benefits society. Nowadays, you might, on a very rare occasion, see guys in orange jumpsuit picking up litter. But what you're proposing is not only have them go out and serve the community, but have them build up skills that will help them when they get out. That's what I like about that idea. Cheers. Right? Slaunches. Cheers. And something I like about that idea is it gives these inmates a connection to the state. Something that they did that's long lasting that will benefit the state long after they're gone. It gives them that, it plants their roots, you could say, in Michigan, a little bit more. And it also finds a place where they want to move to. They might find a nice city that they go to and they're like, I've never seen the state, this city. They move to the city, they get to that city. They get their their uh, good behavior. They get out on good behavior, even if it even help promote better behavior in the system. I mean, who wouldn't want to get out more and do stuff that would improve the morale of the Department of Corrections? Uh, I also know that the Department of Corrections on the women's side in the state of Michigan is so off and so underfunded and so overworked by their, their staff that when we won up in the Upper Peninsula and got rid of it and put everybody in women's here on Valley, we have prisoners that are being overstacked and being put into rooms that are makeshift, like closets and stuff like that, for, for considering that to be their cell. That's not right. That's not right at all. I mean, let's even give the women the opportunity, just like the men the opportunity to do this. Let's not try it on one thing. And let's definitely not overlook the women's Sierra Valley because we need to be able to make our officers uh, not overworked. So so safety remains safe there, and, and which is not there, and better morale. Uh, we need to do that on both sides, you know? Uh, Goodness, I, I don't think they do enough to be able to really move Michigan forward with rehabilitation for the Department of Corrections. I agree with you on that. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite surprising to me how many people there really are and how many prisons there are in Michigan. We have a lot of jails and we have a lot of prisons in this state. Which is kind of sad because mm -hmm. we're... Uh, we were really a really hardcore Christian blue-collar state not so long ago. And now, you know, just for an example, Pinckney. Pinckney, Michigan used to be kind of like Dexter and Chelsea. Now it's dealing with major illegal narcotics epidemics such as like heroin and crack peddled through there. That's coming in through Inkster and other nearby towns. So... It seems like something that leads a lot to the high prison inmate, like like the high count of prison prisoners in flooded the streets, be it firearms or illicit substances, so on and so forth. What would be your approach to you know cracking down on just for an example, street dealing? 
That's true, Jalen. A long time ago, I used to work for Turning Point Residential Program and Rehabilitation Program for Recovering Alcoholics and Narcotics. Uh, it was funded through the Salvation Army, and I loved the job. I really did. I worked my way up from being a residential aide to being a rehabilitation supervisor, and to really understand street drugs and peddling, you have to deal with the people who became the victims of it. These, these individuals have come from all walks of life, from being homeless to being millionaires that I dealt with in the, the program. And everybody had a very interesting story to tell about the hardships of what they would do growing up on the streets, what they had to deal with, or or what they, what they were on. So it was very private and very uh, seclusive to that. And I see that we have a huge problem in Michigan with, with hard narcotics coming into our state. And I would put a firm foot down on that. I would actually definitely uh, go as far as, that's where I say back the police right there. I say back the police, give them the proper funding they need to crack down on those kinds of operations in the state of Michigan. Um, and at the same time, give have them go through programs that better understand these victims that we have that are being becoming victimized by becoming a part of the street crime operations with these narcotics. They, they at first, are innocent now are guilty for what has been pressed upon them, but how do they get there? These these drugs are harmful. These drugs are very dangerous to the people, and um, we need to we need to work with these with with these individuals that have become victims and help them back on their feet. Uh, and we need to get rid of these underlying. Uh, problematic people that want to continue pushing these drugs in our system and permanently remove them from our state. We don't want them in, we don't want them to just be out and about in a few years after they've been a sentence. We want them to know that if they do the crimes that they're not, they're not coming back into the system to keep on pushing it. Um, so I have a stern, a, a stern firm stance on believing that if we create that team of individuals that will back the blue in the right form, that would actually create a crime team to limit and erase these program, uh, these uh, these pockets of bad uh, I don't know. I'm trying to word. These pockets of bad issues that we're, we're receiving for creating the communities that fall, like what you were talking about, and how we see the crime rates increase in Detroit, and how we see it in all smaller cities and stuff like that, how they become out of control. Good, uh, healthy hometowns like uh, that you used to grow up on are now being overrun with these issues. And we need to take these towns back. Uh, 
we don't have enough programs though for people to recover and get better and we need more of those programs as well that's definitely very true uh i'm from ipsy you know 20 years ago or so ipsy was a real rough neck of the woods kind of like a little detroit now ipsy's back to being a thriving working class community and a lot of that is from like outreach programs from people you know we've seen um not necessarily government groups but we've seen churches come out here, uh, different people who had aspirations of political canvassing and political positions in the future who came out of here and they've done a lot for this community and helped to get back on its feet. You know, you can actually walk around Ipsy in the middle of the night now and not have to worry about being harassed. And it sounds like you have a lot of policies that would take that kind of approach to the entire state. So you really want to take Michigan from where we're going right now into an actual promising, prosperous 21st century lifestyle. I do. I want to be able to know that when you enter a state and you look around at a landscape and you see some of the structures are going up, like like the space program uh, structures, these will be very large structures that will be going up. Uh, you'll be like, I kind of feel like I'm in a, uh, like we're going to be launching off to outer space from this state. I want you to have that feeling. I want you to be able to feel like that you're in the 21st century. You know, when you see the when you see one of my favorite cartoons growing up was Futurama. I love Futurama. I don't care if anybody on this podcast knows it. I love Futurama. Good news, it's, everyone. It's got such a futuristic... Yeah, Dr. Zoyberg. Uh, but if you can see that movement of how fast the economy is moving in the beginning of that, that, that cartoon and everything like that, I want you to know that you're in that kind of state, just like in Michigan, just knowing that this looks like the future. This looks like where we're going, you know, uh, for, for the undersea training camps for people who want to become astronauts right here and say, look at, see over there, that's, that's camp, that's camp Pendleton over there. And they're going to be launching off in next January to go up and be working on a couple of the satellites and be working on the International Space Station. Or they're going to be going on a, a program to be launched over to do some uh, space exploration over on the moon. Or they're going to be going over to Mars. Because I'll tell you what, I'm going to give a shout out. Mr. Elon Musk has the right idea. We need not to just look at our Earth as being able to save it, but we need to also look at space exploration, extraterrestrial, as a species of saving it. Uh, he's not just saving one, he's saving both. And I say, uh, let's do it. Let's follow the future. You have Bezos involved with Blue Origin, and you have Virgin Galactic with Richard Branson, and then you also have the Russian program that's going on as well. And China is looking at putting up a mile a mile-wide space station into outer space, and I'm not even sure how that's going to work, but they're looking to do that as well, and that's by about 2030. And everybody's got these dates set for for where we're going to go with this this Earth, and I'm talking early to say that I believe 100% we're going to see it in our time. We're going to see so much new happening for our, our, our planet that we've never seen it before. Uh, one of the most radical ideas I've ever read an article on was somebody said was actually putting a uh, Did I lose you? Nope, go. I'm right here Was actually putting a, a space elevator and a space elevator in for 
for us to transit uh, supplies and everything to the moon. That's just a, the space elevator idea that they proposed was just a pencil, just a pencil thin cable that would attach itself to the moon and it wouldn't be attached to the earth because obviously the rotation and everything like that, that would actually be anchored down on the moon that could actually move around it and transverse around on the moon. But yet the, 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 the cable itself back to earth which is going to be like it's like 22 million pounds or tons or something like that. it's an astronomical number but we have the capability to do this that we could actually launch stuff up and not use rockets to get all the way to the moon to be able to put a lunar facility in and be able to transport it on that cable i mean there's such cool ideas out there and such new things out there that we need to be looking at and saying this is not our old ma and pa operations anymore with our earth. We need to say that we're leaving the diners behind. We're keeping them as inspirational restoration and all. Remembering where we're at to making diners up on the moon. You know, uh, this is the this is the new colonization of where the human race is going. And I think it, Michigan stepping that way would be really, really, really awesome to be able to say that it's the next footprint forward. I love that. I love that that quote, footprint. It, it means so much. So, I I really like everything I'm hearing. Michigan has some of the most diverse resources imaginable. We have oil. We have areas where it's just sand. We have woodland. You know, we have a very yes. diverse state here. We have water. We, you know, we have all the elements we need to be elements. almost an independent state. Like we could run entirely by ourselves. Copper, to copper. Yep. We have mines. We have salt mines too. We also have uh, rich True. oil. And uh, we get a lot of governors who, when they get into position, right? They run Michigan as if Michigan's dependent on the rest of the country, when really Michigan could run itself as if it, didn't, as if it wasn't even part of America. Because Michigan can be such a powerhouse state itself. It really could be. But we could just also be the leader of the entire United States, though. We could be the state that everybody wants to follow. True. Let's not, let's not be inclusive of the, the, our country. Let's include them, but let's th them want to actually be included with us. All right. Let's be able to have a governor that act like, that actually could be the guy that you know that says that when they get into office, you're going to have hundreds of thousands of people flocking from other states and across the world just to come to Michigan because they know that guy. They know what he's going to do. They know that he's going to be there to handshake them when he steps out of that car or that he's going to do something to fix the problem. They know that that guy is not going to have any inclusive measures to being this type of personality like a podcaster or, or selling real estate or, or being a, a, a patient's uh, doctor. 
or or being a, a or being the minister of a church, or or being somebody that's just a historian, or being somebody that's just flashing a badge. But that one guy that's been that mold the entire time and has been the cookie cutter that has been putting cookies out with grandma's cookies every day of the year all the way up until now and he says now it's time for me to take grandma's recipe and put it to work you know grandma had a great idea you know grandma was so smart my grandparents were great influencers in my life and it, i wouldn't be as far along as i am today without their support and without their encouragement i know um i know that i'm a different kind of guy that a lot of people don't ever come across and uh and i'm proud of that though really I really am. I work really hard to be able to get up and dust myself off if I ever have any unsuccess. The, the measurability of success is being able to get up and dust yourself off and keep on going and make yourself even better. Or being able to accomplish the goals you need to, even if something goes wrong. I'm that guy. You know, I'm not, I'm not here for, for a persuasion of thought. I'm not that guy that when you finally get to talk to him and you said you knew that person when they were doing their day jobs and everything like that, and then you go to approach them and they now are this this substantial figurehead, they're gonna be like, oh, I don't know you, or they're gonna be kind of rubbing you the wrong way, or they're gonna look down on you. Not me. I, I just, I know reality, I understand reality. Um, my, my parents all had, Two of my parents had master's degrees. Uh, my grandma had a doctor's degree. Uh, my mother has a, a bachelor's degree. And everybody in my family was highly educated and I was pushed to the limits of anything imaginable of what I did. And to look at yourself and say that you're just gonna be an architect growing up is limiting yourself. I didn't know what I was going to be when I was growing up, honestly. And here I am today. All those life experiences pushed me into this position to be able to create a platform that was too large for me to be able to say I want to be a state rep or I wanted to just be a town hall supervisor or I wanted to be on the, the board of, of education or anything like that. I want something so much more. I want everyone in Michigan. I want you and every Michigander to know that you're my life and what I wake up to every day and have the greatest inspiration of all. That's why I'm really running. I want to be able to know that everybody has a better life out there so I wake up better knowing that I've done something great for somebody else. You got a lot of passion for this. You have a lot of passion for this state too. Thank you. Absolutely. And. So then I noticed that a lot of people, because we've met previously in the year, we met, I believe it was in January, we are in Livonia when they had that summit where they had, what was it, about five, it was a panel of five Michigan candidates. A lot mm -hmm. of them just left immediately. You stuck around and talked to a lot of people. Yeah, I'm, I'm not about leaving. I'm here to stay. And you don't have a lot, you don't have handlers. You know, a lot of these other candidates, they have people that tell them when they need to leave, when they need to speak, how they need to speak. You are you. What you see is what you get. There's no backdoor deals. There's no shady stuff in the background. There's no one pulling your strings or telling you when you need to leave. You're a man who operates on his own accord, following his own guidelines. 
And that's something I noticed immediately that made you stand out a lot to me. Another thing that made you stand out to me a lot is, you know, we're in this climate where you're either on the right or you're on the left. There's no middle ground, and you are fighting for that centrist Republican who wants to help people on both sides of the party come together, not just my tribe versus your tribe. That's getting no, more and more no right these days. And, uh, and a lot of people watching this have no idea about your background. And in light of what's happened recently with Afghanistan, I think it'd be interesting if you wanted to give your past veteran experience a little bit. Absolutely. Tell you what, you've been talking to the right guy the entire time for that question. I have a friend that's from Afghanistan that served over there in the military with us. He was our interpreter. I'm not going to say any names. I'm going to keep everything quiet because of safety sakes for him and his family. And I've been talking to him recently about what's going on in Afghanistan. And I went from when Afghanistan was just fine to when he was coming into the uprising and we were talking through we were talking and um, and he was talking about how he had family and everything like that and he was having issues on being able to even get out of the country because of the danger that the Taliban were putting them in yes this is wrong I'm going to say this Mr. Joe Biden what you did to the country by doing that to Afghanistan and leaving was wrong it is wrong on every measure. We have lost people, we have hurt people, people have died. We have people that have been relocated out of their own country and no longer can return because you've created a problem with the Taliban. They're now in control of too much of our weapons and too much control of their supplies that we have left behind. This is not a forgivable offense. This is an offense that you need to hold responsible to yourself and know that whatever happens from this point forward with the Taliban will be on your responsibility and on your accord because you allow that decision to be finalized as the final thought. My friends, my family members, and everybody that knows the people who have served and my brothers and sisters who have died for that country have died in vain over your decision to be able to make that happen with Afghanistan. I'm sorry, but Mr. Biden, you have done our country wrong. I'm sorry, I had to add that in there. No, I agree with everything I just heard. And it's true. Every step of the way, we're barely, it hasn't even been a full nine months that he's been in office, and this country got knocked back to 2008 real quick. Actually, before that, we got knocked back before two, before 9-11 happened. We got knocked back before then. Um, for us to have trained military soldiers like Osama bin Laden himself by the United States military before 9-11 happened, and for us to be attacked by his own personal trained team of individuals during 9-11 led up to it from our own faults and who we trained and how we let him get away. We did finally get him, 
but at what cost? At what cost did we do that? The safety of our country, the safety of our people, and the safety of the world at that whole cost. And now we have just opened the doors for not just an Osama bin Laden, but we've opened the doors for an entire country that has been taken over by a regime of the Taliban that is so great, so dangerous, and so unstable, we do not know what's going to occur in the near future. And I must say, God help us all and Godspeed on that one. I really hope that we remain safe and diligent. And I hope that only anything, that we strengthen our military inside our borders and outside our borders and make sure that this will not come onto American soil ever. That's something that really scares me is, oh, the screen cap seems to have shut down. Give me one hot second to get this fixed. It's not recording currently, but something that does deeply disturb me about what we've been seeing is the Taliban had to hijack planes to get over here. Now they have them. Right. Oh. Oof. I didn't even think about that. That's even scarier. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, my goal was not to freak you out or anything, but that's what I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, we, we waited and we waited. Oh, that's loud. Because, you know, they had to go to, uh, there's Pentagon Papers talking about how there was flight schools. They're talking about how they had all these people coming in that didn't want to learn how to land the plane, just how to fly it. And then mm -hmm. these same people were the ones that later on went on to hijack the planes, fly them into the World Trade Center. Now they have fully armed helicopters, fighter jets, they have Blackhawks. You know, luckily it doesn't seem like they know how to fly them at all. Because they've crashed a couple of the helicopters they've taken, but God forbid they actually figure out how to fly the damn things. Oh, they will. I mean, it's YouTube. You can find out anything on YouTube. <laughs> the the funny thing is, is that you you bring a point of validity to us. Who's to say that they can't take a Black Hawk helicopter, one of the two hundred that we left behind there, put it on a cargo ship? have a cargo ship come in just nothing to shore and bam we got a, a black hawk helicopter coming at us scary but true and you know we've weakened our national guards to such an extent that they wouldn't really be able to seemingly do too much to keep us safe from that kind of outcome oh i have a plan of action for our national guard for the state of michigan i plan to at least recruit another two to three thousand military soldiers for the Michigan Army National Guard if I get put into office. Something that none of the other gubernatorial candidates in this race will do. I, it, it might, the numbers might even be more staggering than that because not only the fact is that I want to establish a full active duty military base, either being a National Guard base, a space, uh, a, a space guard base or a a uh, just an active duty base in Michigan uh, I plan on bringing enough jobs in that a lot more soldiers will be here in our state I 
do love the sound of that. Because one of the best ways to preserve the citizens' right against a tyrannical government is the National Guard of that state stepping in to protect them. Right. Oh, and another thing for the, the National Guard people out there, here's a shout out for all my military veterans out there. Yes, as the guy running for governor right now, I will not force vaccinations that haven't been proven enough on an experimental basis based on the decisions of which you make yourself. I will leave that decision for you. Because I believe that, that the vaccinations are to be looked at like a flu shot. Are the, now, we get vaccinations in the military and everything like that that are important for us to keep our soldiers healthy and everything like that. But when we're taking ourselves as far as taking experimental uh, uh, vaccinations and putting them into our soldiers because it's not been proven yet to do anything better for them, then I think it's an option for them to be able to make that choice for themselves. So we don't have our military soldiers leaving their posts or leaving their time of service behind early because that is imposed upon them. It's, it's something that they need to know. You will still have some sort of freedom if I'm your guy for governor. You see that uh, blew my mind when I saw it, but did you see Gretchen Whitmer recently? What'd she do? She actually came out and said Michigan will never again have a mask mandate or a vaccine mandate, and that she'll fly and she'll disregard President Biden's uh, executive order on the vaccine mandate. That sounds like a. It sounds like a, a political move. What it sounds like to me. My immediate thought sounds, was her approval ratings, like some of the lowest we've ever seen in Michigan history, and now we're seeing her come out like, yeah, no vaccine mandate. Also, please forget about the whole "I helped coordinate a kidnapping plot against me" thing. Please forget that. <laughs> At least that's kind of what yeah. it strikes me as. Oh, I hear you. I definitely hear you. I think that she's just trying to... It, it seems like she's trying to appease people just enough so the vote stays in her favor, honestly. And I know that sounds like a, a right kind of statement, but come on, everybody. It's something that would be done by anybody that's actually running as governor. Wouldn't, wouldn't you understand that as well? I have to say that. So, the mask mandate thing, yeah, I get it. It's, it's breathing in air that you're expelling out of your own body, and your body's not used to breathing through a mask. Your body was meant to be able to breathe free and clearly without any restrictions between you and the air that you receive. It is a, it is a, a, a uh, aerosol, uh, disease that is out there for COVID-19 is not an airborne disease, meaning it doesn't just stay in the air, it has to be sprayed. So, mask, the only way the mask would actually be considered a good thing is during if, if there's a major outbreak. You know, I'm going to talk some reasonability on this, you know, and say that if there was like a major outbreak in the entire country, and it was spilling over where people were doubling and tripling by number exponentially, that that would be the only incredible cause to ever have to wear a mask. 
if that makes any sense logically. You know? But other than that, I don't see the need for a mask mandate in the state of Michigan at all. Especially with all the breakthrough cases we've seen where people who are vaccinated are being sent to the hospital now, currently. Because again, have you seen any of those studies out of Israel? Uh, no, no, I have not gotten to them yet. <laughs> those are fascinating reads. They're showing uh, the people with natural immunity from already having COVID are far more protected against COVID infection than people who are double vaccinated but have never been exposed to it. But I guess the research is showing the strongest immunity to COVID-19 are people who have had it and have had at least just one dose. For some reason, when you add in a second dose of people who are already vaccinated, it causes reinfection in the host. Because hmm. Israel was the most, like, per capita, like, population density-wise, the most vaccinated group of people on the planet. And now they're dealing with the most severe second wave of any country on the planet now. Mm -hmm. And they're, uh... Them in the Netherlands are starting to lift all their uh, COVID restrictions. The Netherlands completely tossed it aside, actually. They uh, said it's going to be endemic, like the flu. So they'll treat it as such. So they completely scrapped all the mandates they had in place. National me. Oh, it seems to have, to, uh, um, to actually get better. Um, but some people do have weaker immune system than others, and a vaccination to help preventive measures for them uh, is important, you know? But it's your decision, your choice, not the government's to tell you what to do with yourself. Yeah, it's terrifying how overreached the government has become. Something that I think most people need to at least most politicians need to start doing. We need to start rolling back the state on many levels. Because state government and federal government spend far too much time spying on their own citizens. And not enough monitoring actual threats overseas. That's true. And, uh... The podcast audio only was still recording, but for a minute there I had to restart the, uh... the screen recording. So if you could possibly reiterate your stance on vaccine and mask mandates in Michigan, just a quick summary of it, so the people who aren't listening to it on the podcast or are watching it on Rumble or other tech sites I posted on, just have the catch-up on it. Sure, absolutely. Um, mask mandates in Michigan shouldn't be imposed at this point. We need to be able to look past that and see that the only reason for a mask would be is if a massive outbreak in the United States actually occurred that was exponentially increasing the rate of the infected at something that we couldn't control. I don't see masks as something that is a, a measure that we need to go any further on. And I say that we walk away from that idea and only when the necessary need is for such a thing as a massive outbreak would you ever consider using a mask. Because right now, COVID-19 is not a airborne disease. It is an aerosol. It has to be sprayed. So being safe and being precautious with everything that you do and who you're around is the most important way to be able to make that preventative measure to happen. 
be aware, be safe. If you feel that you're in a situation that, hey, you want to wear a mask, go ahead, wear a mask. If you feel that you're in a situation where your immunity levels aren't good enough and that you want to have the vaccination, go ahead and get the vaccination. It's your choice, not the government's. I'm open to a no mask mandate for the state of Michigan. Alrighty, and because the screen wasn't recorded at the time, the forced vaccinations for, I mean, you've already said it now, but just so it's, you know, inward, so people watching at home know your exact stance. You were saying earlier about National Guardsmen and Michigan troops being vaccinated. Could you repeat your stance on that? Absolutely. The Michigan Army National Guard that I have served in has on a normal basis received vaccinations and inoculations for them to be a healthier soldiers. However, when we're taking experimental drugs and vaccinations that haven't been tested fully enough and being able to push them on our soldiers for reasons that are out of their control, but only controlled by the government itself, that's when we're pushing ourselves too far and allowing the military not to operate itself and be able to keep its soldiers safe on their own level. That's why I'm giving the opportunity for anybody that is a military soldier, their choice to choose whether or not they want to have the vaccination because it is only on an experimental basis level right now. I want to make sure that nobody is going to be forced into a situation that they would have to resign from the military from their time of service because they believe in this. I want to be able to make sure that every soldier that believes that they have their choice, they still have their choice with me. That's why as your next governor, I'll make sure that you have a fair and equal opportunity with your inoculations as a military soldier. You know, and the worst of all the dystopian cyberpunk futures, you know, a little bit of a Orwell in here, a little bit of Brave New World here and there. It's really an amalgamation, so to hear, a, to hear a politician say that we want to make sure that you have your choice and you can take what's best for you and not be forced and not have anything forced upon you is really refreshing to hear in the political dialogue. That's something that's missing with a lot of people these days. And I think that a lot of the candidates right now running are actually pushing to say that they want to to go as far as the extreme to the right and saying nothing for nothing and that's it, you know, and then they want to push it with just all this hype and they don't want to go into the specific details about it. They're just saying no mask mandates. Well, explain yourself further. What if something did happen though? I, would, I actually challenge any of those candidates to explain themselves further about what they say on the mask mandates. Now I know the ones on the left, I understand what they want them because it's fearful and it's scary. I mean, I can understand why you'd be afraid of this virus. It's, it's killed millions of people. And we need to make sure that in those choices that nobody takes it to an extreme to the right or to the left. Make that right choice. Put it in the middle and let them choose where they want to go with it. I have nothing more to add to that. Summed up perfectly. How do you feel about Michigan possibly becoming a... Because uh, you have experience with firearms. You use them in your former profession. 
Uh, actually, I was uh, I was a combat weapons specialist, meaning that I dealt with all crew-served weapons in the United States military that was involved with with all squads that are being carried on foot soldier patrols. And I dealt with anything from pistols, semi-automatics, to fully automatics, to grenade launchers, and to AT ATF-4s as well. Those cool things that you shoot off your shoulder, everybody. Yeah, I got to shoot one of those. Uh, and uh, what my profession was in the military was, I was even a little bit more in depth than that. As a combat engineer, my my profession is to deal with demolitions. So yes, I'm your boom boom candidate for governor. And anything as far as I'm concerned about about what you want to know about the weapons more. Yep. Well. What, what is it? How do you feel about Michigan, uh, like the gun laws in Michigan? Do you think we need more of them? Do you think we need less of them? Should it be constitutional carry? Constitutional carry. That just means abiding by the Constitution of the United States, correct? Yes, sir. Why not? Let's keep it constitutional carry, but at the same time, let's open it up a little bit more. Let's not create more laws. Let's keep them lessened in our state of Michigan. Let's make sure that we do do thorough background checks on people when we do them, though, you know, for, for safety causes. And I have to bring up one thing that one of my candidates had brought up and that's actually teaching gun safety to youngsters. Now, I don't have a problem with teaching gun safety to youngsters at all. I think it's actually very important for the state of Michigan. Um, but I think that the comfortability level for a parent to decide on what age level for them to teach their youngsters is the most important. Right now, we have one of the leading candidates running for governor of the state of Michigan, who says that as, as early as early ages of three and four years old, of which he taught his youngsters to shoot, an AR is too young. You know, I mean, for him, maybe that would be great. And that's, that's good. But I, as a military man that has been trained with weapons, I think that the, the appropriate age is dependent on what the comfortability is of the parent who decides to create those gun classes for the youngsters. We gotta also look at the fact that if you're teaching them about weapons, this is an important thing for any candidate to hear, for the candidate speaking about doing this. If you teach a youngster about weapons in a young age, they're gonna wanna handle those weapons even if you're not around because it's just a, it's just a curiosity. And a weapon is fine and peaceful until you pull the trigger and then violence occurs or something bad could happen. Let's think about ourselves and also hear the fact that if you teach that the, 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 there's violence with a weapon, which when it goes off, it sounds pretty violent. And everything like that, okay, we had incidences in our country all the way back to Columbine when it happened. And those kids, those poor kids that, that we lost then, and the, the youngsters that were, the, 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 the disturbed individuals that were involved in the shootings were so ostracized from being a part of society that they felt there was no way out. And they, that's their actions of what they did to this horrific and heinous of what happened to, to Columbine. It happened and they carried it out. But we weren't paying attention to where those guns were going. 
and they got in the hands of those kids. Now, I am 100% behind every gun right that you want in the state of Michigan. Not going to give you any limitations on your your capacity of ammo that you want in your magazine. You can tell that one to James Craig. I'm not going to limit your capacity on your ammo. And uh, I'm definitely not going to make your youngsters be forced into a class at too young of an age for for gun safety awareness. But I will also allow that program to be able to be open for the youngsters to be able to understand that. If you feel that it's appropriate for the age level where your youngsters at to be able to receive that training, if you feel that they're responsible enough that they're, that they're going to understand the difference between that when a, a weapon is not going off, it is peaceful. But when you pull the trigger, there is going to always be an, a reaction, and there's always option of there being consequences. So youngsters too young beyond to be taught with gun rights can make an issue over the fact of the consequences if their curiosity gets the better of them. It's important for people to know that the person speaking about giving too young of class courses for anybody for weapons training is too young. But I'm giving the option for the parents because if you really do feel that you want to teach your kid that young, okay, fine. But I do hope that you do teach them about the consequences that fall with that, or to teach them about for everything that happens about training them with weapons and why we have them, to protect ourselves, to keep ourselves safe, to not be overridden by a government, or not to be able to be able to aim it at somebody in vain. Weaponry, to me, is utilized as a tool when I was taught in the military. And this is something that a lot of people in Michigan need to know. A gun is used for recreational purposes to go out and do hunting or do trap shooting or practice target shooting. It becomes a tool when you call it a weapon because a weapon is designed to kill. That is the difference that we were trained in the military as a combat veteran and a combat engineer. That when you pick up your AR, your M16 or your, your um, M4 and you put it in your hands and you're being trained with it, that is no longer considered a gun. We're being trained that that is a weapon and a tool. So we have to get ourselves the most the most diligent training that we can do to be able to make sure that our soldiers understand the consequences for the actions that we use of our weapons. That's why the military is some of the best trained individuals in the United States of America and in the world. That's good to hear. Because um, I've talked to other people who've been in the service when it comes to gun laws. They seem very, I can't think of a better term for it than blue-pilled. Because they've been in a field where, to them, you you recognize that there's you know recreational uses for it, hunting, trapping, so on and so forth. But there's a lot of people like uh, oh, what's his name from uh, from Texas with the eye patch, Dan. Uh, huh? Can't think of his name right now, but he's very pro gun control, and I can only assume that comes from being in a combat experience where you see it not as a tool but as, you know, a, a damage dealer. It's nice that you see 
both sides of it, where it's self-defense and it's recreational. It all depends on the intent of the person behind it. That's an important thing to touch on. Very important to touch on. And I want to see every candidate dig in deep and explain to me their, their real position on that because all I'm hearing is everybody to the, the war cry, constitutional carry, constitutional carry, constitutional carry. Or I'm going to limit your, your magazines that you can carry in the state of Michigan. Or I'm going to limit what you can carry or what you can't. Or I'm going to restrict who has weapons. Or we're going to go in and we're going to take all your weapons away from you. Come on, people. Let's get reasonable here and let's understand. This is Michigan. We need somebody that understands Michigan thoroughly, inside and out, and what those weapons mean to them. Is it a weapon or is it a gun? What do they have in their collection? Do they have weapons in their collection or do they have guns in their collection? Is it right to keep their own privacy? Absolutely. They keep their own privacy. Let's get them their own privacy. Stop barging in on people that don't need to be barged in on. You know, and we take it too far in Michigan. Not under my watch. Yeah, the thing that seems like uh, that really goes over the heads of a lot of people is it's counterproductive to insert new gun laws because laws only apply to law-abiding citizens. Criminals will still get firearms, and when you see these violent mass shootings or any other violence revolving around the use of a firearm, it's a criminal not a law-abiding citizen. So when you put more restrictions in on gun control and put more laws on what you can and cannot have, you're just restricting the people who would use that firearm to protect themselves while opening the door for people to go out and be criminals and get it you know, through the black market means. It, you would think the government would have learned from prohibition when people like Al Capone came to prominence selling illegal alcohol. Absolutely. And, uh... If you want to tell the people at home a little bit about, like, uh, your military career, I think some people would be very interested in that. Okay. <clears throat> well, I can say that standing before you, I'm a pretty well-decorated soldier that left the United States military after eight years of service. I worked myself up to get into the United States military in 2008 after having multiple times of being turned away from the military. Um, I think it took me eight tries to finally get in. And on my eighth try, I was able to find an individual that is actually still a lifelong friend to me who was a sergeant and has retired out after his 20 years of service. Uh, he helped me get into the military and he helped me get into the Michigan Army National Guard. I never quit. Every time that you've been told to go away, I took it as a no, as a yes, I'm going to get in. I wanted to serve our country right, and I got in in 2008. I decided that I had two options that I was looking at. I was looking at being a chemical operations specialist for Steve Byrne, or I was looking at being a combat engineer. I chose the route of being a combat engineer. I am a 21 Bravo, 12 Bravo combat engineer for the Michigan Army National Guard, and I have been trained by the United States military over time to work with crew serve weapons to do CASVAC care and that's emergency care under fire situations. I've been trained to do maneuvers across land. I've been trained to do some of the coolest operations you can imagine as a military trained. I'm not telling. 
but I was in two separate companies. Companies in the Michigan Army National Guard. And we are one of the most rigorously trained individuals in the state. We are proud to say that we have two of the fewest companies in the country that are here, right in Michigan. And with that, I had some of the best teams that I trained with. I did myself uh, service and I worked with CAS, uh, the Sea Operations for about four years in the Michigan Guard. And that's dealing with civilian operations and dealing with seeing how the civilian population integrated into situation scenarios with uh, emergency situations that would pop up and how the certain uh, military companies that were out there would react to them during the time of the, the chaos that would be breaking out. These things led to us to be able to get better understandings of which crews are with their training with their soldiers and who needs improvement of them. It was a big deal because now we're looking at situations and scenarios that are similar to this. And I'm proud to say that I was able to be trained on that. And I took myself through school and even got as far as becoming an ROTC cadet through Western Michigan University and was looking to go further as a civilian officer wanting to be the commanding sergeant or commanding the chief and commander of the Michigan Army National Guard someday soon. I have done even two years of service with a transportation company over in uh, over in Grand Rapids, and I found the driving truck was pretty fun too. So I have had made an experience level working with the military, and also had found uh, myself uh, making friends all over the world and experiences I'll never forget. Uh, and I would only recommend for anybody who wants a life experience to be able to change their education, to be able to change their lives, to be able to have an opportunity to be the best of what you can be. Look at the military as an option. Never give up on your goals and don't let anybody tell you no that you can't get in. I not only listed once in the United States military, but I listed twice in the United States military just to continue on for my service. I miss it dearly, and I would only hope to be able to make sure that everybody in the military has the best experiences possible as a governor running in the state of Michigan. Well, on behalf of everyone at Sin Media, and I think I can safely speak for at least Michigan, we thank you for your service. You're welcome. I'd do it anytime again. You've given a lot to not just America through your military service, but you've given a lot through your National Guard service as well. And you want to give more as a governor. What drives you to be a governor of Michigan? Success. Like you said, success is not measured by how far you've gone in life, but how fast you recovered. I know that life is a, a field of goals, obstacles, problems, and solutions that you must overcome. And I know that at any point in life, everybody falls at one point and needs to be able to build up and reach that success. I want to be there, that guy there for you to help you along and be able to get back up with that success. I want to be able to do that with our state's economy. Our economy is the person that has fallen right now 
And we need somebody like myself that will help you get up and dust off your knees and our economy, I'll dust off our economy's knees. And uh, I'll fix the wounds that our economy has had by that fall and make them better. And then I'll actually help them get to where they need to go for a better tomorrow. That's why I really want to be governor. Michigan definitely needs you know, that right now. There's a good time for this, actually. I myself am a uh, small business owner. I love small business. You know, I, I served 20 years, you know, doing small business operations and stuff like that. And I must say one thing, though. As a small business owner operation person, I definitely <laughs> want to be able to bring some light to to everybody make a hot operation for all your businesses. I want to be able to make sure that every business out there is at its peak operation. These small business owners, I got this. Your heat's just going to be cooking even better with me because I'm going to make sure that your business doesn't have to pay a business tax and that you can be able to better pay your employees and make everything better for you as an economy. That was really cool. We're, uh, wow. I did not expect that. I did not expect that answer to start with a magic trick. That was awesome. Um, and that's actually good because, you know, during the lockdown and the pandemic, a lot of mom and pop shops really took a blow and they got hit hard below the belt too. There's a, a local coffee shop just a little bit down from my street. I used to go there almost every other day and get me a nice, uh, Give me a nice cup of coffee, and they had this really delicious salmon pate bagel. Ooh, so good. But uh, halfway through the pandemic, they shut down entirely. It was uh, B24s, and it was owned by a, it was a little coffee shop owned by a veteran. And the pandemic absolutely squashed his business. And there's a lot of similar, there's a lot of families and people who run their own businesses in a similar situation to what he was facing before he shut down. And Michigan really needs a governor who actually cares about small businesses and mom and pop to help them get back up and running again. I've been doing it for 20 years for my company. You know, and uh, my profession that I did as a window washer. Yes, I'm a window washer. You can all know that, Michigan. It's hard work that I did out there. But I made clear transparency of that window so you could see the, the beautiful view on the other side of your windows. And I'm still working to this day as a window washer while doing my schooling and while running my campaign and uh, making my business thrive. It's not really the thriving right now because they can't tell the economy's down. But uh, I want to make sure that everybody has the option so their business doesn't get shut down. I like it because I, I don't have a high overhead with my company. I don't have to worry about anything that's going to be able to crush my business. It's water, soap, and making a window shine. Hey, those are three ingredients that are always going to be in abundance too. Plus, it's easy to make both. It's easy to make soap at home. Mm -hmm. So you're a man who's worn many hats in his day. Uh -huh. Um, and moving on here a little bit. There's a. I'm sure you've seen what's going on in Arizona right now and Texas and all yeah. those places. 
Would you yeah. be, would you be open to having a forensic? Well, how do you feel about the idea of a forensic audit into the twenty twenty elections? Should you be elected into Michigan's governor position? Well, I think that my hundred day uh, my hundred day audit of the entire uh, infrastructure of the state of Michigan would be inclusive, directly with that audit as included, and uh, be able to tell if there was a uh, fraud in our voting system. So I have that covered, and I would be doing that. You know. That's good to hear, because even if there wasn't any fraud, you know, there there is still it would give a level of reassurance to Michigan voters to know, like, all right, well, better luck next time. You know, at least we now know that there was or there wasn't. How do you feel about uh, right. passing some form of voter reform bill, taking it back to how voting was before the pandemic? Um, I think that before the pandemic, mm-hmm. well, before I don't think it was that well off before the pandemic as well. So I think we really need to look at it as what is the most safe and secure way of making voting operations work? Like, like, I can't take that. I heard it from one of the candidates, and they said it. And I'm, I'm willing to give credit to somebody else. A watermark on all the uh, the voting uh, cards. A watermark, so we know, so we really know that it's not being passed out by the wrong one. And I thought that was brilliant. I was like, you know, I, I agree with that one. Let's put a watermark on that one. I'm not taking the idea. I'm saying that I heard it, but I agree with it. I think watermark and that we need to make sure that we have a security staff in place while we go through our election cycles and in our voting and seeing what's happening behind closed doors. You know, um, keep it open and transparent. But yeah, I like the watermark idea a lot. And we definitely need to really stop just handing out all these amplitude ballots out there in the state of Michigan. Absentee ballots are some of the biggest and easiest ways for people to manipulate the system and make things go wrong. So, I mean, are you really in need of that absentee ballot or are you able to actually come in and make a vote? Let's really make it work for Michigan in the right way. How do you feel about voter ID, like having to show IDs to vote? Yeah, I do. Because you don't want somebody coming in that doesn't it isn't the person that they say they are. You want to know who's making that vote. Uh, you don't want to have, say, say uh, one township having a lax uh, voter ID thing because everybody knows everybody and they're rubbing arms with everybody. You come into that community and make the vote because you know that and make things go wrong. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's really important to keep a tally on. If you don't have that ID, voting's not going forward. All right. And would you aim to pass similar voter reform to like what we've seen in Texas and Florida over the last couple of months with their voting restructures going through? That's, we're a different kind of voting state than them, I have to say. So I wouldn't try to emulate another state to a T because that might just go bad. I think that we need to find out what works for our state. And if they do have some good ideas that, that might work for our state, and we can take those ideas, but not like just 
if we just take somebody else's program and put it in ours like that, it's not working with the with your your demographic of what you're in. Because it's a different demographic in both of those states of Michigan. Um, Okay. All right, so yeah, I definitely agree that. All right. Uh, what, what exactly is Florida doing, Texas doing that might be uh, a questionable idea that helps them? Uh, a couple things. One, they've implemented voter ID requirements. They've uh, they've stopped the 24-hour voting. They've removed mail-in ballots, so now it's only absentee ballots. Okay. They have to show ID to receive the first place. And they're also walking back extended and curbside voting. Where it's like, you know, you pull up to a facility and you put your vote in the box. You have to go into the building and vote and or you have to show your ID, send them proof of your, who you are, and then they'll send you a, a mail, an absentee ballot in exchange. But they've completely scrapped the uh, mail-in voting process. Uh, okay, those are good ideas. No, those are definitely good ideas. Yeah, you may have heard about it. That's when all those Democrats got on the plane and they fled Texas and came to Washington, D.C. Okay. Uh, actually, kind of a funny thing with that story. It was, I believe, 53 Democrats fled Texas to make sure they didn't have the uh, the required majority they needed to carry out the like procedure of voting. And with it, they brought coronavirus to D.C. and they spread it all over Kamala Harris's and Joe Biden's personal cabinet and staff team. That was nice. kind of right karma. In a real macabre way. He's got, he's got his two cents he wants to add, too. Can you give me a minute? I got the dogs on. Absolutely. All right, just a Oh, no, you're good. Hey, man, you got dogs, I got dogs. I know how it goes. They need to go, they need to go. You're getting antsy. I know, the puppies are all stirred up. So you're in Lansing, huh? Yes, I am. It's a beautiful... Oh, nice. I actually, uh... I was kind of your neighbor for a brief minute then. I was staying in Mason for a few months. Pardon? I was, uh, I was your neighbor, I guess. Technically, I was living in Mason for a few months there. Oh, yeah. I get to see everything she does around here. <laughs> uh, what do you, uh, overall, what do you think of Gretchen Whitmer's uh, track record? Sketchy? <laughs> That's a polite way of putting it. I've heard of, I've heard of some things. I've heard about how she likes to 
be uh, very uh, diligent with funds and how much she receives and where she receives it from. Sketchy. How do you feel about uh, like packs and lobby groups? Would you take money from them or would you do everything grassroots style? Me? Honestly, in my position, I'd take almost anything that would be legitimate, that would be willing to help me out, move me forward to actually show everybody that I'm the right choice for governor. At this point, I mean, if it's a legitimate fund, I would be willing to take it. But for people who have the power already to use that and utilize that to exercise more power on them, I think that makes it an unfair advantage against the small grassroots people like myself. I guess I'd be included in it. But I seem that a lot of the people that are right now are uh, promoting the small grassroots people are making choices already for the, the, the governor's race and who they want to make as their candidate. And honestly, for every other candidate out there, that makes it relatively difficult for them to say that they're grassroots just like themselves. you have any uh, public speaking events or anything like that coming up? Uh, I should have a, uh, one in October 2nd coming up uh, for for one of the uh, kids running for a state representative position. And uh, I'll be doing speaking over at there at uh, Piscardos. Uh, I will also have, I think, a potential chili cook-off that I want to be entering in Jackson, Michigan, coming up here uh, in this October. And I'm looking at, I think, October 8th or so that I have one more that's going to be over at Mount Pleasant to be speaking at as well. Okay. You told me a little bit about the chili cook-off, and that the, the level of fire you put into liquid form terrifies me. I, uh, I, I, I am a, I'm a fire eater. I, um, I got, I got one in the other room. Let me show you one of my, let me show you one of my special bottles. I'm a big wuss when it comes to spicy food. Flamin' Hot's Doritos, my, my max. Hear those puppies, which is so damn cute. A friend of mine just dog just had a bunch of puppies too. Yeah, Twelve. Posted on my Snapchat a while ago. Baby, they're like uh, pit shepherds. Adorable. Oh, I should ask them about the Freemasons. Okay. So I've got it. Yeah, my backups. These are just a few of my backups and my my babies that uh I have I have like a whole bunch in the fridge that I eat right now, but well I got fire water, pineapple. This one, one of the world's hottest sauces in the universe. This one's so small, it's even got wax on it. 
I got it from a uh, pepper store in Florida a long time ago. Believe me, this thing is untouchable. These guys, they can suck these down like candy. But here's the one. If I was to actually bring out the pain, the only thing I can think of that would beat that would be the Mayan sauce, but this one's not one of the biggest. <laughs> I'm sorry. I go, no, 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 no. I got to be really careful with this one. This thing is that's what it is. It looks just like that. It's uh, so hot. It registers at, I think, two and a half million Scoville units. Enough to take down a, an elephant. You ever have somebody who, who you don't like too much? Give him a Bloody Mary, but put that instead of Tabasco in it. <laughs> I would never, ever, ever, ever do that to them. I would yeah. never do that. You're nice that would be panic. They would be panicking, and I couldn't do that to them. Oh, my God. You are a nicer guy than I am. I, I immediately I made the joke, and I thought of like 18. I built a list in my head of people I would do that to. <laughs> What's that? I immediately thought of a list. As soon as I made that joke, a list of people I would do that to just went through my head. I'm like, I wouldn't. I would do that. I would totally do it with somebody. <laughs> well, I, I'm the guy that you don't really. Uh, but I think it's normal is like fire to some people and what people think is fire I think is candy yeah that sounds just like my mom she horrifies me with how spicy she eats her food we went to a, uh, a Korean barbecue place I can't remember what she ordered but she ordered it hot they kept bringing it to her over and over and over and she was like no hotter I want to eat it like you would and the waitress who was Korean herself said I don't eat it that hot so they just brought her out the entire plethora of hot sauces and spices. And she just started just mixing it all up together. I'm just watching her. My eyes were burning because I'm like a foot or two away from her. I'm just getting hit with that that after fume of it. I'm just sitting there like... I've never socially distanced before in my life until then. I got all like, I'm going to sit over there. You're just in a cloud of... Of like probably some Geneva Convention crime violation of spicy over here. I would, if I enter the Jackson County Fair um, and I make a chili, you're gonna. Have Could you repeat that? The audio cut out for a second. Uh, there, there seems to be. There seems to be some sort of issue with the audio. Can you hear me? I can't hear you at all. Nah, I still don't hear anything. Okay, so so you can't hear me. Uh, uh, let me see. Is there anything on my end? No, my audio. 
No, my audio's up and running. Do you have a microphone plugged in? Tell you what, I'll hang up and I'll call you back. See how that goes. Sound like a plan? Two minutes? Okay, we'll go for that. That was a shame. I was just starting to hear about how my innards would melt if I ate any of that chili. Now I gotta figure out how to uh, cease the recording. Uh, the disease that is out there for COVID-19 is not an airborne disease, meaning it doesn't just... Hmm. Yeah, I got one of those for, uh, my computer on my phone and nothing, no, uh... No little red flags popped up or audio errors. I have no idea what happened there. No, no, this is... Strange. That's up and running, okay. Right, so about the chili. Absolutely. Make a chili cook-off and make a good chili really hot and spicy. I've tried, man. I, I've... Like you said... You might have the same labor to eat that stuff. I've tried I'll to... push the limits. I'll push it to almost where I can't eat it. If that's the case, then that would be a real spicy chili. You and my mom should make a make a dish for one another and to see who uh, outspices who. You ever seen? Uh, you watch The Simpsons? Mm -hmm. yeah, I, uh, I do. Whenever I'm at one of those chili cook-offs, I, I think about doing what uh, Homer does, where he just drinks a, a wax candle. Before he goes and eats any chili, just so he has that coating to keep him safe. <laughs> it's still gonna come out like fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm a wuss when it comes to spicy food. I've I've, I've tried so many times over the years to, to acclimate to it, but the flaming hot Doritos is about my limit, and then then I'm done. Need to have a glass of milk for those chips. But, uh, so you're saying you had a couple other events coming up. Do you have the dates offhand for those? Um, on me right now, let's see here. I'm, my eat. Not sure here. Uh, and I know one is the, two, the one of them is a 2A Patriots rally. And that's the one in Mount Pleasant. And I know you can Google and find it, and it will tell you the exact date coming up, but it's the 2A Patriots Valley, and there's supposed to be a lot of people there. Um, and then there's supposed to be uh, supposed to be going over to a small little pumpkin festival coming up, and I have Dylan Piscaros that I have to 
that I have to go to is a campaign kickoff with, uh, that's over near Detroit. Um, wait, I'm not looking up for my phone right now. I, I don't want to mess up the, the connection we have, but, uh, that's in Detroit as well. And, uh, I'm just looking to add any events that I can go to, any speaking events coming up. And I don't know, they come in quickly sometimes and I'm set to speak and that I don't even know about. So in the next week or so, I should be seeing about two or three more speaking events. I thought you had a bird for a minute. I was like, you also got birds? Wow. Oh, they're squeaky little puppies. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Lincoln's one of the talkers. So, I like Quincy. She's so cute. Such a tiny little thing. They're all named after fine fathers, huh? Because you got Pardon? Quincy, you got Lincoln, you got Washington's wife. Madison, Mars, Quincy, Lincoln, Grant, Carter, Cleveland, Franklin, Monroe, and Teddy. I like Teddy Roosevelt. That's a good one. Oh, Teddy looks like a teddy bear. That's why I named Teddy. <laughs> you go and pick him up. He's the one that looks like uh, he looks like the mastiff. And you go and look at him. He's got these big bulging eyes. And he's like, hi. You're like, oh, hey, you look like a teddy bear. So that's Teddy. Uh, teddy Bus- uh, Teddy Barksman. Speak so, softly and carry a big stick. Yeah, that's a. It's kind of a shame. That's the uh, misinterpretation a lot of us had about Pence is that that he was that type of individual. Speak very softly and carry a big stick. Now we're realizing he speaks softly, but there's a uh, no stick on that man. It's true. That is so true. But uh, a stick yet? I forgot. I know I have a stick here. <laughs> I'm supposed to get the stick. Can somebody please find me my stick? I'm sure his wife. Fighting, you don't have a stick. I'm but sure yeah, I do have a stick. No, it's not that time of year. I buy it. Not no more. <laughs> oh, uh, Pence's uh, stick was in his wife's purse. Along with his marbles. So, uh... Have you been following any of these, uh, grassroots organizations lately? Like, there's, uh... Uh... One that I've gone to and filmed a few times over in uh, Livonia off Haggerty. There's a big uh, gathering of like young conservatives who get together there, and they'll have like a, a little like pro wave flags, play music. Uh, different okay. district chairmen will show up there. You ever uh, attend anything like that? No, I haven't. Not those. No, I did attend the uh, the young Republicans group over here in Lansing, and they had some of the most Diverse and inspirational ideas that I talked with an entire group. Uh, I went around to everyone and I thought I was going to hear the same questions over and over again. But every single person I sat down with had a completely different subject to talk about. And I was like, you're all in one room and you all have different subjects to talk about. You guys are one of the most diversified groups I've come across so far. See, that's the thing, man. The media likes to paint people on the right as just like a bunch of white guys or a bunch of white chicks. But when you go to these events and gatherings, it's a very diverse melting pot of people with different backgrounds. 
It is. It really is. And then, then I find out that earlier on this summer that that the right is literally split between between views, and I'm like, what? We have now we're now splitting our views in the right, and we should be together as one, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of hard, you know. Um, I kind of feel like that. I kind of feel like that uh, they're picking their their choice before they know everything, and that's wrong. But that's the way it is going right now here in Michigan. And I say that if if you really want to see what's going on, put every player on the field and watch them all play ball and see who plays the best ball. True. Is a there's a few candidates on the ballot right now that I, I see a lot of people flocking to that I have a lot of reservations about. Sometimes they seem too polished. And, you know, you get certain candidates that just say nothing but the right things, you know, like what you want to hear. You don't hear enough. Yeah, I know, like, who, I know who he is. I know who you're talking about. Yep. He has a lovely picture of him and Trump together in his pamphlet. <laughs> really? Oh, uh, yeah. And then you have... Uh, you have former uh, police commanders. Not naming names, of course, but but you know who I'm referring to here. Yeah, but they're using their authority to gain a political lead, which shouldn't be the case at all. Well, he wants to bring in... Uh, he's yes, guys, I said that. You guys are using political authority to gain a lead, and you need to run as yourselves and stop utilizing your badge. I said it. I stand with that. Nothing makes me lose interest in a person other than being like, oh, look, I know Trump. I'm like, that's nice. You got a picture with the guy. But what are your stances? What do you believe? Right. And then the alternative to that is you get people who are like, oh, here's my wife and here's my kids. You know, I'm, I'm a family man. It's like, all right. But, you know, you I'm a family man, too. Just everybody doesn't understand that I'm a family man of pets. There you go. Right, but like, uh, I guess the example I was going to make is like, uh, for example, you know, you get a lot of these people on the right who bring up their wife and kids on, on onto the stage, right? And they talk about how they're a family man. That's what you need for this country. Bill Clinton brought his wife and kid up, but we all know where that man's loyalties were. You know, so mm-hmm. a lot of people want to like take a small part of their life and make it their whole entire persona going forward. There's not a lot of diversity in that group. Uh, something that really makes you kind of standoffish when it comes to certain uh, former uh, sheriffs who are running for the Michigan governor, government position or Michigan governor is uh, he wants to bring in federal officers to help with uh, gun crime in the streets. And I'm someone who's... That's important more government on what we already have. That's not the way that our country is supposed to be ran. We're supposed to run our country with what we have is our as our law enforcement is what is supposed to run our state, not have involvement outside with the federal government. No, agreed, and especially with how shady the gov- the federal government has been operating, especially over the last few months. It makes me very hesitant to ask them to help in any capacity. 
Right. Because if, you know, when I hear this uh, candidate that I'm not going to name outside of mentioning that they were uh, a sheriff for a particular city that needs a, a lot of help right now. Uh, we've seen they can't keep a border secure. They can't keep American assets overseas secure. But you want to bring them into our state and help them secure gun crime. It just doesn't seem like a good idea. Right. Keep the federal government over there in D.C. and let Michigan handle its own problems within its own borders. It keeps it cleaner that way, at least in my opinion. Right. And, uh... Another issue that we've been seeing a lot of people try to bring the federal government into is the education system. What would uh, what are some things with the public education system that you like or would want to work on? Um, the, the core programs that we have placed and uh, testing standards for that. We need to change it because the, 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 the way that kids were learning has changed dramatically. Uh, we have artificial intelligence that's actually teaching kids uh, lessons to to get their education from. We have kids that are being pushed long still that are not even receiving the right amount of reading, writing, and being able to, to do what they need to to be able to function their life correctly because they're so pushed along. We have, uh, we have overseen ourselves by giving out free money to everybody in the state that wants to get free tuition to go to school. But not every kid that gets out of high school wants to be a college student. So let's think about that because we're putting too much money into that. Uh, so we'll give it to the people that really want to and actually want to put it forward. Let's put some of that money into the uh, the, the services like technical support jobs and uh, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Trade profession jobs and stuff like that that they can learn as well. In. Or let's diversify the the, the programs that we have for our colleges because our future is uh, aiming towards the stars and start aeronautics and astronaut program education and be able to have a penmanship program so everybody knows how to sign their names and read cursive and spell write cursive. Just not making it a big program but a program that so everybody is proficient and can be able to be proud that they say, sign your name, they can actually sign their name. Would you uh, bring back courses like civics and home ec or see about implementing? Yeah, those are the crucial programs that, that some kids would like to have. That, that cut, those are the things that are cut out of our budget. Uh, when I ran last election cycle, they were cutting extracurricular activities like uh, speech pathology. They were correcting uh, therapists. They were getting people who had after-school programs being cut. All these things that kids need to be able to have to be able to be a functional student while going to school and learning, because they need those extra inputs for them to be able to be able to grow with their development and their education that they're going through. Sounds like a well-grounded uh, stance into the public education system. Would you keep Common Core or would you address Common Core as an issue? I address it as an issue. I address it as an issue. 
and I would still and I'd still bring it up to the MEA. Like I, I didn't get to speak with the MEA so far this this uh, summer, and I've been reaching out to them, but I haven't heard anything yet. I'm pretty much uh, certain that's because they their their pick is still going to be behind Gretchen, and they're not going to move their stance on that. And I'd like the MEA to know that that um that it's important that we go away from the core programs that we're teaching right now and change them because this isn't the era that we're growing up anymore. We're in a new millennium. It's time for the future. The future starts now. And the future starts with you being a, a an advancement as an educator as well and be able to learn new ways to teach kids and reach kids because, well, our technology, like I said at the last speech, it gets in the way of all this stuff. Pick up the book and read it to them and get into the core values of where you need to be, not by saying that these core values are the only way you can be. You know? Um, yeah, our teachers are some of the hardest working individuals in the state and actually anywhere for any profession. They're working nonstop around the clock to make a curriculum uh, for, their, for their students. Uh, they're nonstop working on grading students' papers and always doing stuff. And the amount of students that they teach is pennies to the dollar of how much they're actually getting occurred to actually be paid to do these jobs and positions. So what I always was promoting was to give incentive to teachers to come out there to be able to want to teach and be able to give them pension programs when they leave so they know that they're not going to be left with nothing for their future uh, when they retire. No, sounds like you got a plan for that too. Is there any topic regarding Michigan that you feel like you're still working on a plan for? No, I I really got all the topics all out there free and clear. It took me, I don't know how many years since 2000, 2017, 2016, I was actually looking at this and building on this platform. And over the years, I... I made sure extensively that everything that I was going to cover will be open for everybody to know what I really want to do for Michigan. Though some people said that I have a big, big list of things to do on my list. I'm like, yeah, but I'll do whatever I can to accomplish those in the first year and in the second election cycle as well. So be ready for it. What are some of the biggest problems facing Michigan that you've noticed? Um, lately, well, in the last year, when the whole thing went down and we were pretty much shut down, uh, I noticed uh, uh, a movement of, of people all hurting because of it. They, they, they all, their businesses, their lives. Um, the outlook of what our potential future is for our state, they all became herded. And I think that I'd like to bring some some feeling of where they're not going to hurt anymore, where they're going to feel safe, where they know that when they when they come out of the, the houses, because everybody in Michigan has been pretty much cooped up for the last year and a half, honestly. Uh, I've seen too much of the business all shut down for all this time and that we have people that are trying to 
to fight for our rights and open them up, but uh, we have people that are opposing that. I'd like to see Michigan more more um, normal. You know? Yeah. Is there anything that you really want me to dig a little bit further into about that? I want you to fo- I'm giving you pretty much the platform now to focus in and talk about topics that you think are the most precedent in Michigan okay. right now. I think it's I think it's the uh, safety and security of our economy and everyone in it. Um, I want to be able to know that everybody can wake up every day and not feel bad about themselves and know that that there's a job for them or that, that there is opportunity for them or that Michigan isn't going to be, be feeling like we're under a crushing weight of despair and that we're only controlled by the government. These doors need to be opened back up for Michigan and we need somebody that can just allow that to happen. All right. And are there any issues that you feel like might be being neglected by other candidates that you're running against? Absolutely. I actually think that every single candidate running right now, except for, I think, maybe two out of the entire pack, have given me an idea of their platform of what they're going to do to Michigan. And even of the two... I feel that it's inadequate of how much that they're providing and what they're going to do for Michigan. Um, I feel that there needs to be more refinement into their platforms. And a lot of people are all speaking on big hype on getting everybody excited on what they want to hear about the yays, the screams, the cheers, and be able to get them all hyped up on, on uh, asserting that, that there's going to be accountability out there and everything like that. But there's not enough going on about what are you going to do to make that happen? And we don't have that in any candidate really yet. I've I've read in many articles so far, which I've been uh, excluded from a lot, that a lot of people believe that there's not one candidate that even has a platform idea available for Michigan. And I'm like, okay, have you seen my website? Have you seen my ideas? I'm not going to be giving you any hype. I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to do to Michigan. And I want to see that from every other candidate, and I don't have it yet. Yep, you definitely, like, one thing I can say for sure, from just talking to you over this period we've had, you seem to have a flushed out, full attack strategy for different issues that are blighting this state right now. Because I've thrown you a couple questions from left field, right field, connected and unconnected from the previous question and without hesitation you immediately had a response to it and that's something that you don't see a lot there's not much him and hawing with you I'm just I would to, agree with that I'm just trying think if there's anything I'm not I haven't touched on yet I can't necessarily think of anything oh actually what would you uh, what would your message be to disenfranchise or demoralize voters in Michigan? To disenfranchise, demoralize voters in Michigan? Like, what do you mean by that? 
Well, more specifically. People, there's a lot of people I've talked to who feel like, you know, after 2020, there's no point in voting, and then there's people I know on the left who felt that same way after 2016. These people who feel like the election system just isn't working, and they, and they feel demoralized to go out and vote. They do. They really do. It's like when they when when the election was put up like this, and they feel like their vote didn't even count towards the the potential act of what people label as fraud in the voter election. Uh, it literally just uh, incapacitated lots of people from wanting to put forth their own personal views or their opinions into the system anymore because they feel like the system failed themselves. And we need to reassure them that the system's not going to fail and that, that their vote will count. And that by voting, it gives you the choice to know that the, that if you want to vote left and you want to feel more controlled by the government, then you can vote left. If you want to vote right and you want somebody to speak for you and be your voice, then vote right. You want to vote libertarian, vote libertarian. You want to vote Green Party, vote Green Party. You want to vote uh, Constitution Party, vote Constitution Party or the Falcon Party or in, independent. You know, that's the beauty of voting. But subsequently in the United States, we, we make it feel like that's the case. But look at look at our house divided in D.C. It's right and left. There's no other small party uh, affiliations in the house when we're voting. And I think that this assimilation from that has gotten so far affected uh, from everybody really wanting to, to go out there and vote and be able to make that third party happen or that they, they feel like the, the, those votes are crushing no matter what they do. We need to be able to make sure them feel reassured that if they get their if they get their absentee ballot in the mail to them, watermarked, sealed, only one, not any more than that, for that individual and for the justifiable cause of why they received it, then they, they know that what they're sending in isn't going to be stacked off to the back and not counted as, or we're not going to be doing this whole thing where we're going to wait for for an, an expense amount of hours for the votes to come in. When the voting stops, the voting stops. Let's make that rule. You know? It's the kind of things that I would do to be able to reassure and bring back the decimation feeling of the voters that we have uh, lost right now in this election. Yeah, it is really heartbreaking when I talk to people who just feel like the system's entirely dismantled. And I tell them all the time, like, even if you feel like you know, voting won't make a difference. You still need to get out there and vote. Because even if there is such a, a, a big rigged system, they can only rig it so much. And if you go out there and vote regardless of it, you're going to see numbers that offset it. Or at least numbers that raise red flags across this country to people paying attention. Right. So. And it is good that you go out there and you do these events where you meet with people and you talk with them. Because that's what a lot of you know a lot of people need. They need to be able to shake the hand and make eye contact with the person who will be, for the most part, calling the shots of their state. Yeah, uh, John Engler. I went out into the streets of Rockford, Michigan, when I was about twelve years old. Um, got off my bike. Uh, it was a different time then. It was like nineteen ninety two or so, ninety three. Can't remember the year, but I remember it was close. 
And I went out in the street and he was just shaking hands and walking down the middle of Rockford's Main Street. And I got out and I had a small conversation with him. And he said he thought of me riding my bike. And I was like, yep. He's like, I had to come out here and shake your hand, sir. And shook my hand and we had a small chat. I went back to my bike and rode off. But never forget that 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 first first encounter I had with somebody that that some people may have thought they did good for a state, some people thought he didn't good for a state. You know, um, everybody's got their flaws, but everybody's going to be inspired by certain individuals out there. And that was an inspiring moment for me. So if you don't get the election, will we see you run again? Absolutely. I love to hear it. Absolutely. And what are, what is like, what is something you want people to know about you? That you do have a choice. You do have somebody that actually makes sense in this whole election. And somebody is not going to drive it in a crazy direction. You have somebody that's not going to be, look, like and portrayed like they are over at the Capitol trying to break it in or anything like that, or or trying to create such laws or or push things to a point where it's going to stir stir things up the wrong way. You have somebody right now that that has worked not just diligently for for a year on their plan, but diligently for the last five years on their plan be able to make a, a sensible economy back to the state of Michigan. And uh, I'm your guy for that. Well, that's great to hear. And I look forward to seeing you again at a bunch of these in-person meetings. Uh, if you can, I'm going to go online, but send me a, a link to some of these. and I'll show with my camera and record them. Sure, I can do that for you. Uh, that being said, this interview has actually been a little over two hours. Time has flown by. Actually, it's 6.11 now. I believe we went just a little bit after about 2.30. Mm -hmm. So it's been about two and a half hours. Man. So. Uh, there, you said uh, you got an event at a pumpkin event? I'm not sure when that is yet. Uh, it's like a pumpkin parade or something like that coming up. I, I want to pull it up, but I'm see here. Find it. It's like a fun event. Um, I can take my nephews and nieces to as well. Uh, there's an October 4th coming up over at the 
St. Clair's GOP, I believe, there's October 4th coming up. Uh, there is a, another one coming up for... So many people and I keep track of. Oh, there we go. Tuscola, Tuscola uh, County uh, Pumpkin Festival in Carroll, Carroll, Michigan. That's when it was. Alrighty. I don't know the exact date, but I know it's in uh, Tuscola County, and uh, it's the Pumpkin Festival. And then I have that one over at Mount Pleasant coming up with the 2A Patriots. And then I have that one that I'm supposed to meet up with, the St. Clair GOP. And the Dylan Piscardo. I can't, apparently have more than I thought. <laughs> hey, you're a busy man. And, uh, yeah, and I'd like to put together a golf outing if I could make it happen before the end of October and uh, go from there. So, yep. You've been really busy. I think I have one coming up on the 15th of May. <laughs> I'll keep you informed on the events as they pop up. Absolutely, and uh, before this goes, before I post this, I'll uh, I'll make sure I get some links to these in the comments so people know where to track you down, find you, meet you in person. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking for anybody that want to join the team and uh, and really see the future for where we're going. Make it really awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to add? No, uh, not really. Uh, other than the fact is that everyone, to all your podcasters out there, to all the people watching this uh, video, my name's Evan Space. I'm a Republican gubernatorial candidate running for the state of Michigan as a moderate, and I am looking to make some economic sense to the state of Michigan or for tomorrow's future. So if you want to join me, just look out at space, the number four, governor.com. You can join my website. Feel free to buy T-shirts and everything off of that for my apparel. And uh, again, contact me if you want to be able to join a team that's actually being able to be pro Kansas at the same of being pro marijuana and being pro gun. I'm awesome. Don't worry about our history going away, in Michigan. You know that it's safe here. I'm your guy. All right, Mr. Space. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. We greatly appreciate your time. And again, we thank you for your service, sir. Thank you again. I appreciate it, James. Absolutely. And Godspeed on the campaign trail, sir. We look forward to meeting you again in person. Okay, thanks. Godspeed. Take care. That was weird. Maybe we just timed out the uh, the computer or something. <laughs>